here goes Looks like I'm falling Call me Devil may care I know It shouldn't be But you know me, pal Take a dare Who knows But this time I may be lucky This may Be on the square Here goes It's an adventure It seems as though I'm standing on top of something steep. I've got a crazy feeling of wanting to leave. You needn't say I'm foolish. You know advice is CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Inkstead Show, the radio show where we talk about comics. Um, people that are only getting into the show recently, listening to this week and last week, may think we're a specialty show featuring cartoonists and old-timey music, so it's a, an odd quinky-dink, I guess. Um, do you want to let us know about that track we just listened to? Yeah, that is uh, Devil... Uh, let me see. It's Devil May Care, and I think the uh, singer's name, I'm just checking, is... Uh, is Dick Todd, yes, who was called in his time the Canadian Bing Crosby. Ah, can't, I didn't even know it was CanCon. Look at that. And uh, that song has special meaning because uh, I, uh, I was listening to it the night my wa- wife's water broke. So for me, it became the voice of my infant son. Ah, well, it's good to have some kind of Canadian roots in there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very atmospheric song. It is. It's very nice. Um, just for folks listening, I guess I should mention who it is I'm yakking with. That is uh, Michael Cooperman. 
Kupperman, actually. Kupperman, I apologize. That's all right. Um, and I guess your main book right now is the volume one, which means there will be more, of uh, Tales Designed to Thrizzle. As well, um, you also had the book uh, Snake and Bacon. Yeah. Um, the Snake and Bacon Cabaret, I think it was. Snake and Bacon's Cartoon Cabaret. cabaret. There we go. Um, which I unfortunately do not have, but it does exist. Mm. And you also have a Snake and Bacon cartoon you did for kind of Yeah, we did an animated cartoon. pilot for the Cartoon Network. There we go. Uh, for Adult Swim, which they're not going to make a series of, but I'm, I'm quite proud of. And I think you can uh, find it online. I think it's still on their website. There we go. If not, uh, feel free to contact me via Twitter or Facebook, and I'll send you a link. <laughs> um, and yes, I should mention your very uh, constant stream of uh, twittering. It's, yeah, uh... yeah. Well, I I started using Twitter right after uh, the baby was born, or actually, the baby was born, and then I had to finish assembling the book, color about thirty pages, and do a three D strip for Nickelodeon, and then exhausted i discovered twitter you know and since i was sitting there all night anyway you know it uh full of nervous energy it seemed like the perfect outlet and it is it's uh continue like i said a stream of nonsensical <laughs> <Babble>. madness Nonsense. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like the the michael jackson's nose was found on latoya the oh other day. that's a little yeah that was a little more uh topical than i normally do and I, I i try not to do celebrity humor too much or cruel humor there was a brief mention of uh big brother uk which i appreciated yeah yeah i've been watching it although i haven't i've i've uh i've not been watching for the past week or so it shifts from being boring to interesting and back again yeah it's really boring right now there was a good last night there was a good fight i will say I, was... I saw that <laughs> i saw that online um yeah it, it it's funny because they brought in these new housemates to shake up the house and they, there was a lot of tension and excitement for a few days and then both the interesting people left abruptly and now it's back to the same kind of petty squabbling yeah I'm sure everyone is listening, scratching their heads, but yeah, if you ever yeah. want to watch, you know, the American version of Big Brother, it's just, it's very American where everyone's kind of in this combat zone of power dynamics and power struggles. The British one, they're not allowed to discuss any of that. So it's all people trying to get along. Yeah, it's interesting. So and they're not allowed to read and they're not allowed to do anything. I've realized actually that the people who cook are lucky on that show because cooking is at least something creative you can do, you know, that will take your mind off this. Mm -hmm. Well, basically it's like a prison. It is. And they, they treat you like you're in prison. Yeah. So YouTube it, folks. Check out yeah. some odd clips of uh, British people in pits of misery and despair, hoping it, for money. You do see some stuff, yeah. And uh, they swear a lot, too, which I quite enjoy. No, you're not going to see that in the American one. Um, let's talk comics. Okay. I could, I, we, we could talk about reality shows for an hour, and then no one will get anything out of this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, what was your, uh, I guess, your first interest into comics? Because you don't strike me as a comic. That's necessarily your scene is comics. Yeah, I, I feel that way, too, kind of. Uh, I'm... I, I'm not sure where I exactly fit, but I'm not sure it's comics either. Um, I, my first comics were probably Tintin and Asterix, and then uh, a huge revelation was the uh, Smithsonian Book of Newspaper Comics, mm -hmm. which uh, is still around. And um, and then seeing Crumb when I was about 12, that was a, a big 
great show. <laughs> <laughs> really amazing. And, you know, when I was uh, a teenager, I saw Zap and Raw, and uh, those really were, you know, the main inspirations, I think. Yeah. It's, uh, t- Crum at 12 can be uh, either enlightening or uh, shocking. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was uh, Crumb's raunchiest, just filthiest, you know, most profoundly insane stuff. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. It was in an Arizona shopping mall bookstore. Uh, <laughs> I, still surprised it was there. It was such a filthy book. <laughs> Did your uh, was it just something you saw in the store and just caught a glimpse of, or were you able to purchase it? No, no, I, they would have never let me purchase it. It was, I uh, won't even describe what goes on, but it was some of his, uh, you know, uh, really filthy stuff from the early 70s. No, I, uh, I was left alone, though, for a little while in the bookstore, and I did read uh, some of the stories. So, yeah. Now, did you go to art school, or what kind of school did you I did you go do? to art school, and then I went to art school for, uh, you know, fine art. Um, I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, and uh, I exited art school still kind of not knowing what I wanted to do. Because I, I guess I, mm, I, did, I felt like I didn't know who I was yet, you know. Where did you go so, to? Where was it that you went to art school? School of Visual Arts. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was quite colorful in the 80s. Sam Henderson had this, too. The dorms, they had no dorms, so you were housed in the YMCA on 34th Street, <laughs> which they had two floors for the students. And then uh, other stores, other floors were various transients or even some long-term residents. There was one floor that was notorious because of uh, how it smelled. And there were glory holes in the upstairs back bathrooms. It was quite an introduction to the city. Did you grow up, was it Arizona you grew up in? No, I grew up uh, partly in England, but mostly in Connecticut. Oh, okay. So definitely uh, somewhat of a culture shock. It was a big shock, it was, and it, it felt really li- liberating. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, New York in the 80s was just a crazy place, and uh, you know the freedom was intoxicating. Did you have any uh, instructors at SVA um, that were cartoonists? Because I know, like, no, I never that. took any cartoon or illustration classes. Um, it wasn't until a few years after school that I started to really concentrate on that. I had some teachers I really liked, uh, like Hannah Wilkie or Michael Goldberg. But you know, the main thing that I was good at was drawing, so that's really what I spent most of my time doing. Now, did you go to school with any other people that? Are cartoon that did become cartoonists as well? Because I, I think um, Ted Stern went to, if I remember right, to SVA and did not take cartooning, but went into cartooning. Yeah, I didn't really know anyone else of there who I know now who's a cartoonist. Um, Kyle Baker was already very active in the school paper, and he already had that style of his. But I didn't know him until you know, later. I didn't meet him until later. So post school. What changed? Oh, school. Well, you know, I had a succession of motley jobs, you know, and uh, all the time drawing, drawing, drawing. And then I moved to Williamsburg in 89, and uh, uh, this guy named Kevin Pyle was starting a Xerox comic book called Hodags and Hodaddies, and it was a neighborhood kind of thing. He'd Xerox it, and then he'd laminate the covers uh, at Time Warner where he worked. <laughs> and uh, he, he was asking, you know, neighborhood artists to do stuff. It was very loose and experimental. So I did a few, and uh, the reaction I got was so positive. Also, it was 
kind of situation that doesn't come along very often where I was in a building and uh, I knew a lot of people in the other apartments. There was, you know, a really loose feeling. One of them was Mark Newgarden, actually. Uh, I never got to know him well. But uh, so I'd do these comics and I'd get an immediate reaction back, a little like performance. And it was very gratifying. So, so that's where it started. Well, maybe quickly back to the art school. What was your fine art discipline of choice? Sculpture. Sculpture. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. What would what would be your sculptures at the time? Like what? They, uh, they involved, I think I would, you know, find stuff in the garbage and then reshape it, basically, you know. Um, found objects. Yeah, found objects. I'd make kind of odd ersatz, not quite furniture from them. Um, I don't think I ever did any really good sculpture, and it kind of ran contrary to what my nature you know, really is, which is to generally work small and be very self-contained. Now, the uh, strips you're do- doing in uh, Hodags and uh-huh. and Hodudes? Uh, uh, Hodags and Hodaddies. Hodaddies. No. I think it's surfer language. I'm, I'm still not quite sure. Yeah, I'm not very jive to that lingo, yo. Um, so that was your first kind of experience doing pseudo-cartooning, somewhat cartooning. And it was, was it just like panel gags? It was abstract stuff. Um, one of these days, I think I will put it all together for a book to kind of show how the abstract drawing drifted into comics. So there was a kind of continuity. My, my first comics are very abstract. And uh, for a couple of years, they're not even rectangular. You know, they kind of, I would really improvise on the page, mm-hmm. which uh, can be great when it works out. Um, but of course, you know, it's not really a practice you can keep up because there's so many misfires. I find that really fascinating that you're talking about your work being abstract from a certain point, And then looking at your work now, it's very constructed. Yeah, it's the direction it's taken. Um, you know, I think... I just, uh, I could have gone on and become a much more aesthetic cartoonist with the writing kind of in the background, mm-hmm. you know, where the aesthetics take precedence. But I guess the direction really has been, at least for the last 10 years, to make, you know, the, the art carry the joke, you know, or work with the joke. So the aesthetics become, you know, a mechanism, not the whole thing. I feel like now the jokes carry the art looking at your current work is that a good way to put it I'm, well i mean I the, the the important thing is that the the joke and the conception of what's going on are conveyed you know now when did you uh kind of were you always into humor or did that come along later oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah always into humor now do you f- consider yourself more of a humorist than a uh than a cartoonist, I guess. I'm not sure what I am. It, I think we're in a difficult time because all the professions have become so stratified. Yeah. It's not easy to move from one to the other or have that freedom. Um, it, you know, it can be interesting. When I started out, I was doing a lot of black and white work. All my comics were black and white. I was doing black and white illustrations for the New York Press. And when I tried to get color illustration work, uh, I was told, you know, well, this is all black and white how do we know you can do color? Um, to which I'd reply, you have to let me try. Um, so, you know, and then, uh, obviously I've done a lot of color work since then, but 
now I, uh, you know, there's a similar situation where, you know, I'm a comic artist and I do get kind of attention from that, but not offers of work in other fields so much. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've tried to make it kind of obvious. I have that, you know, uh, being a humorist is a huge part of who I am, but uh, I still don't get that many writing offers, even though I'm trying. That's interesting, because, like, looking at your, you know, the the poll quotes, you have, you know, pretty active writers or people involved in comedy, including the uh, the introduction by Robert Smigel and Andy Richter and sure, Colonel yeah. Bryan's lovely uh, mention in his things that he loves. I use lovely and loves too many times there. Sorry. Yeah, no, but, yeah, Robert's, Robert especially has been just fantastic. And, um, and Robert has given me some opportunities, actually. Uh, he is one guy who has, you know, given me the chance to do some different things. Why don't I play a quick song break, okay. and we'll get back in, and we'll talk specifically about the TV Funhouse. Okay, which uh, which song are you going to play? Uh, Buffalo Gals. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. Uh, okay. Ink Stud, Seattle, 101.9 FM. All right. Hey, 
outside, round the outside, round the outside. Uh-huh. Two buffalo boys go around the outside, round the outside, round the outside. Uh-huh. Three buffalo boys go around the outside. CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Ink Stud Show. Uh, so folks know what's going on on the Ink Studs. Next week, my guest will be uh, Brad McKay, who is the editor uh, or part guy. Put together the uh, lovely Doug Wright book, um, which is uh, steeped in full Canadiana. We'll probably be talking with uh, Nova Scotian accents um, just to be appropriate towards the content. Um, not the Doug Ray's from Nova Scotia. And the following week will be uh, Kate Beaton, speaking of Nova Scotia, actually. Uh, she'll be on um, another marvelously funny person, and uh, she'll be actually in town a couple of days after that for the Comics and Stories as well. Uh, that week, the, I think it's the 20th, the show, um, Brandon Graham and a whole bunch of other local talented Vancouver folks will be coming on the show to promote the events of Vancouver Comic Stories, Comic-Con, and I am right now yakking with funny man, Michael Kupperman. Um That just took me back to the 80s. Yes. The, who, who was that? Oh, that was uh, Malcolm McLaren. That's what I thought. Yeah, the, uh, the man who developed the Sex Pistols uh, during his mid-80s experimental New York phase. Whatever happened to McLaren? Isn't he He's just still around. I saw him on, on the uh, Big Brother Celebrity Hijack uh, last year, I think it was. Oh, I didn't see it. Ah, ah. Yeah, that was fun. That was how I uh, discovered Russell Brand. Oh, oh Russell Brand's pretty... He's uh, fantastic. He is. He's uh, outrageous. Yeah. Which I appreciate. Malcolm <laughs> <laughs> um, McLaren also has some really interesting roots in his own uh, kind of arty stuff before he got connected with uh, the pistols and fashion stuff. So. Definitely. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. With uh, Miss uh, Vivian Westwood. That was who he was with for years. And That's right. And uh, they did some pretty interesting creations. And he was also a manager for the New York Dolls. And uh, Bow Wow Wow. Oh, his. that's right. That was his uh, pet project. That he put and together. then he followed up the album, uh, which Buffalo Gals is on, with uh, his opera, uh, mm-hmm. hip-hop, hip-hop kind of opera album. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. No, I don't. Yeah, he did uh, versions of Madame Butterfly. And- oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. R. Kelly, take note. <laughs> it, it was ahead of its time. Yeah. It um, we were just about before, uh, before the Buffalo Gals, we were going to jump into, uh, the TV Funhouse yes. cartoon you did. Or Smichael, get, get, giving you work, and that's one of the things you did, I guess. Um, well, the first thing I did was, uh, cartoons for the show TV Funhouse, which is on Comedy Central back in, I believe, early 2001. Um, and that was an amazing experience, of course. I had never done animation before, and uh, they had seen Snake and Bacon, him and Dino Stamatopoulos, uh, the other producer. And so they wanted me to adapt cartoons from the book. So um, 
after, you know, the usual months of wrangling with the lawyers, uh, I got to do two cartoons from Snake and Bacon for uh, the TV Funhouse show. They're not online, unfortunately. No? No, the lawyers again. But uh, I think there is a DVD out now of of the TV Funhouse show. It's It's a wild ride, the whole thing. I don't know if you ever saw that. Uh, I the did puppets, not. The puppet animals interacting with uh, real animals. They all eat at a restaurant called Sames, where they eat themselves. <laughs> really? Out it was there. like when I, uh, when the South Park uh, DVDs, they had a little bonus intros where they're feeding uh, pig bacon. Yeah. Making bacon with Macon? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was a, uh, yeah. There'd be a cow eating cheeseburgers and a monkey eating monkey brains, etc. Why does the monkey not get to eat something exciting or tasty? I don't know how good monkey brains would taste. I feel bad uh, for the monkey. At least the yeah. cow gets a cheeseburger. I'm not that curious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and then, but later on, you did uh, a sort of live. And yeah, a couple of years ago, he. Uh, he uh, called again and, uh, and asked if I wanted to draw a Saturday Night Live um, TV Funhouse short. And it turned out to be, I think, his last season. He, he did one more cartoon after that, and then I think they're finished now, which uh-huh. is too bad. But, uh, yeah, so we did, uh, we developed together a Picasso. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, it was Einstein <laughs> uh, having big boobs short. <laughs> Do you have a particular fixation with Einstein? Um, well, I, I like, I like the character I've got going with him and Twain. Yeah. Um, the, the just, I, I feel very comfortable writing it. I don't know if I have so much of a fixation on him personally, um, but, uh, this was actually Robert's idea, although I contributed some to the writing. The central idea was Einstein had big boobs, so no one takes him seriously. I think actually Lenny Bruce had done something a little similar years and years earlier in his stand-up act where Einstein has a southern accent and no one takes him seriously. <laughs> but uh, but the the thing was, I went up to uh, Marinetti Wachtenheim, who do the cartoons, did the cartoons, and uh, I had to draw this whole thing in uh, three weeks, including... Um, uh, about a minute, minute and a half that was cut off, that was uh, Paul Abdul traveling through time. And it was just done all at high <laughs> pressure with incredible amounts of revisions. But the thing was, I, my, when I adapted my own cartoons, that was just copying the drawings, basically. Uh, mm. Robert was adamant about them not moving very much. So drawing a whole new animation, this was the first time I'd ever done it. Um, and... To be honest, I mean, I think it's a pretty good cartoon, but I always feel, you know, I could have done more. But as far as just learning the basics of what's involved in drawing a cartoon, it was invaluable because it was just about uh, seven months later we did the Snake and Bacon cartoon. Mm-hmm. So it's a good learning project. Yeah, by the time the Snake and Bacon cartoon came around, I had much better idea of what I would have to do. Um, to give you an idea, this uh, Saturday Night Live one, until the first day I started working on it, I had never used a light box before. Really? Yeah. I had so many people I know that that's like... Central tool, I know. Yeah, not even animation, just cartooning. Yeah. I would never owned one before. Wow. Do you use it now? Excessively. <laughs> oh yes. Where have you been all I mean, my I mean, life? I have to keep getting faster. That's one of the main things. I, you know, part of the direction of my uh, career, such as it is, has also been I just have to keep getting faster because you know the amounts of work I have to do. 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of increase. More mouths to feed. Well, yeah, there's that, definitely. So um, maybe let's just jump into into Thrizzle. Mm. Um, tell me a bit about where it came from and uh, what was the idea behind it and how much is it connected to the previous Snake and Bacon? Well, Snake and Bacon is really me younger with a pen. I didn't I didn't own a computer actually until after I finished it. So, um it's just me and a pen. And then Thrizzle is a somewhat older me with a, a computer added. So, you know, and I'm trying in Thrizzle it's not so much about the drawing, it's, you know, about giving a kind of kaleidoscopic feeling mm-hmm. of a lot of different pieces that complement each other that may, you know, even give the feeling of being uh having been done by different people. I get it it feels like to me like it's kind of like a sensory overload like you yeah. can't read very much of it at once cuz you got so much happening right so many like little itty bitty things if you tried reading it like a book right it's pointless you're right. just going to f- No it's something you things. can kind of dip in and swim in and you know one of those books where you can start in the middle and work your ways to both sides and then you realize you've read it all Yeah there's no uh, central narrative we need to worry about. No, there's no central narrative. There's no continuity, really. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, it's, it's you know, a reflection of the books I loved. I mean, the books that I loved when I was a kid were those Monty Python ones that yeah. uh, I think Eric Idle was really responsible for, um, which were just beautifully designed and full of wonderful jokes. And, uh, you know, those especially were the model. Um, and then also, more recently, Viz Magazine, which I've loved uh in a different way. Really? Um, Yeah, I mean, it has gone downhill, and, you know, even at its best, it was never 100%, but when it was funny, it was exceptionally funny. All right. You know, and that kind of feeling of a sort of stew you can come into, and, yeah. So, let's talk about some of the the concepts, the the key concepts, for lack of a better term. Okay. Tell me about... uh, the sex blimps. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's just a funny idea. I mean, you get these ideas, or maybe they're just two words, sex blimps, but then you get a little bit of a conceptual framework, and uh, it's novel, and uh, seems funny, and uh, you haven't heard it before. So, you know, the idea that sex blimps and sex holes, you know, were because the law would was very strict, except if you were, I can't remember how far it is, 15 feet above the ground or beneath it, something yeah. like that. Uh, so that idea, you know, there's a lot to do with. Now, t- the art style, let's talk about the uh, the art style that you use for, for Thrizzle. Um, yeah. What's the feeling you're going for? Well, I mean... Um, it really depends. I mean, there is some material in Thrizzle that still, for me, was about the drawing or about, you know, doing some interesting drawing. But then, um, you know, are you talking about the the more common style that, you know, occurs a lot? Yeah, like the, that kind of cardboardy. I don't know, it feels like they're stills from animation or something. Yeah, yeah, those those come from earlier comics. I mean, I... I I don't really look at mainstream comics these days, yeah. um, and haven't for a while. But the older ones, you know, up through even to the 70s in some cases, you know, they have that intense stiffness and staginess and obviousness. 
and you know bad postures and you know um i mean sometimes i do copy specific poses from those old comics because i think they're so funny the, the you know uh like the man pumping his fists in the air with frustration you know <laughs> those those hyper dramatic poses that they used to do um so th I just think that's the funniest language, kind of this stiff comic book language. It's everyone knows it. I mean, it's still around. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I just I just find that the funniest. What were some of the the Silver Age type things you've enjoyed personally? Mm, well, I just got a uh, a book of the uh, Superman family. Those, of course, are just absolute gold. Yeah. Um, I'm going to confess here <laughs> that uh, part of uh, my recent Twenty Nine Sign Adventures were lifted from uh, a co comic book I found called Super Cops. That was uh, a uh, it was a comic book about the adventures of these two real New York City policemen. Um, kind of in the wake of Serpico, obviously uh, they saw themselves as also being kind of interesting renegade cops, even though they weren't. Uh, whistleblowers and they weren't breaking the law they were kind of mischievous so they actually got a movie made uh, it starred Paul, Ron Liebman and I can't remember who the other guy was but uh, they got a movie and then they had a comic book and they were also I guess selling watches and uh, I don't know where it went from there I, I don't know if it ever if anything else ever happened you know when you're selling watches it's not a good thing yeah but they were starting this franchise and uh, the super cop comic book which is hysterical is part of that not purposefully mm, no kind of bizarre stories that don't you know don't make sense especially for the more sophisticated readers of today who know so much about police procedures and what goes on you know they really do have adventures where they for instance decide to hide in a box on the back of a truck and wait for someone to steal them. <laughs> really. <laughs> so, uh, another another uh, really fascinating clump of comics is the, uh, it's, I believe it was Archie Comics did their own superhero line in the Oh, 60s. like The Fly and... Yeah, The Fly and The Fox and, uh, who else? I think Brick Bradford was in there. Steel Sterling was definitely one. Yeah, and they're trying to do Marvel, but it's like they—they've conceptually described to themselves what a Marvel comic is: big panels, lots of action, bold colors, and uh, emotionally troubled heroes. So then they've put these ideas together, and they're all wrong. The panels are you know wrong. Compositions are bad. Uh, you know everything looks terrible, and then the heroes are ridiculous. For instance, there's one I think is the Web who's henpecked. That's his, you know, big existential problem. Nagging wife. <laughs> I guess they're just, uh, they're just amazingly, yeah, they're just delightful. I guess that fits in with some of your superheroes, like uh, the, the Bittern? Yes, yes. The Bittern. <laughs> what is the Bittern's uh, superpowers? I don't think he actually had any. He just was a guy who decided to fight crime. I mean, if you go back to early comic books, that's the atmosphere, sort yeah. of. It's very nonsensical. You know, I can't sleep. I'm going to go out and fight crime, kind of. Yeah, you had that in the uh, in your cartoon for the Snake and Bacon, the um, the Fruit of the Month Man. Yes, yes. Fruit of the Month Club Man. Yeah, sorry, Club. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, the, in, in the book, that sequence of superheroes goes on uh, longer. 
Um, and I have plenty more that are waiting for their stage. Uh, <laughs> plenty more ridiculous superheroes. But, um, but yeah, the the, uh, the my favorite one, I think, from the uh, this Marvel, I think it was Mighty Comics line, is the Fox, and it starts with him in costume watching this girl go-go dance in a club. And people are saying, oh, the fox, it's a sad sight. He just sits there night after night, pining after Jenny. Jenny apparently doesn't like him because she doesn't like the fox. She likes the guy, but she doesn't like the costume, although she doesn't know it's the same person. So he sits there drinking, trying to make her like him. And that's your superhero. And then the gasser enters, this villain who sprays gas, and someone says, it's the gasser. Let's hope this gas is non-toxic. <laughs> oh, for the days of badly written. Oh, wait, they're still badly written superhero comics. Yeah, I, I mean, but, you know, you look at, like, the Superman stuff, the crazy Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. Really ridiculous, beautifully drawn, though. And those had a huge audience, much, much bigger than, than today's, you know, grim, yeah. you know, hyper comic books. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's another world. Well, another I just past. think, you know, comics used to be fun. It, it's, it seems rare to me these days that they're fun anymore. Daily comics is, uh, you know. Even more sluggish to go through. It's just painful. I mean, and, you know, daily comics used to have an audience like Dickens did, people who would wait every day, you know, obsessed yeah. to find out what was going to happen. Is that something you're looking for, is just to have fun comics? I think, yeah, that's a big part of it. Why not? I think that's part of the nature of the medium, actually. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, a lot of comics these days take themselves way too seriously. And there's this push to kind of get comics respect alongside literary works. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I have mixed feelings about. Is You know, and I kind of... I'm kind of the same in, in in some aspects where I kind of look at comics as his own distinct entity and not to be confused with other entities. And yeah, I could probably prattle on for far well, too long. Well, I mean, I think listen. that myself as an artist, I try to do things that are, you know, make use of the comics format. In other words, I think a lot of my work couldn't be anything else. Yeah. You know, it could only be comics. Whereas a lot of stuff I look at, it could be a film, it could be a novel, you know, it could be anything. And that's the problem with a lot of a lot of stuff by some folks that are very enjoyed and respected, is that it's not really celebrating the medium as much. Like there are folks like Chris Ware and Dan Clouds who really make use and, you know, use imagery and repeated imagery for a specific purpose. And then there's other folks, you know, like, Tomine, I'm going to put it out there, where it doesn't really, it's really well drawn. Yeah. But I can see this in a movie. I can see this in other things. I don't think it's necessarily a, a great comic within itself as, as embracing the factor that it is a comic. Right. And the kind of narrative it's telling. I mean, I think people these days pay a lot of attention to the symbology of things and what they represent. Yeah. And um, I think that's gone too far, actually. I mean, people, res- you know, really respond to that before any other qualities, in a way. So, um... I guess it, what's important is the gut reaction. What are you going to do with the comic? Are you going to sit down and read it and enjoy it? Or are you going to analyze it? And If you can read and enjoy it and take it as a thing within itself, then that's most important. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, 
there, there's a intellectual response to something, and then there's a you know just innate response, you know, an immediate response. And uh, I think the second one is more what I'm interested in. Yeah. I'm going to take a quick song break. Mm. And then we'll when we get back, we'll jump more into the comics. And uh, that's what we are. We're a comic show, isn't it? We'll be right back. Ink Stud, CITR 101.9 FM. Mm-hmm. What did he say? Now there's a guy in our quartet Talks like no one I've heard yet He mopes, mopes all the time It's got no reason and it's got no rhyme What did he say? What did he say? What did he say? He said, bring something round, we'll have a ball today. What did he say? What did he say? What did he say? He said, you can't win no matter what number you play. Mumbo, mumbo, here you go. Jumbo, jumbo, what a schmo. When he talks, he almost gargles. Seems like his chops are full of marbles. What did he say? What did he say? What did he say? He said, sing a little louder and we'll get more play. you don't know it, I am Mumbo's interpreter. I see everything he does. I hear everything he says. Now you just sit back and stand by him and tell all of our listen. Now Mumbo's had a crap game the other night. Now all the boys knew he had crooked dice. But when he took that third dice from out of his sleeve, he made nine the hard way. Ah! Three, three, three. Yabbity, What did they say? What did they say? What did they say? That's Bebop talk against the Jives, okay? Mr. Mumbo! Here we are. What did he say? I everybody around here knows what's going on. I hope we knew Mr. Mumbles, what did he say? Yes. What, what did he say? What What did he say? If I ever sound like that on the radio, please turn me off. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I haven't been mumbling. My no. wife accuses me of mumbling sometimes. I get accused of that quite often outside of here. Um, maybe it's, uh, I don't know. But I hope neither of us, have I been mumbling? Uh, no, no, nope. no. You've been you, very clear. You, you have not been mumbling, so I think we're safe. Good. Tell me well, about about mr mumbles oh that is um 
what did he say by the Deep River Boys? I should mention, I found both it and uh, the uh, other old single um, on this page. There's a man who's been digitizing all his 78 records and putting them online, and you can find them free for download. I don't have the web address with me, but if you just write my collection of 78s into Google, it'll be the first link you hit. And uh, there are thousands, and they're just amazing. That was a tie-in to Dick Tracy. Really? Uh, Mumbles was a character. Yes. It was later on played by uh, um, Dustin Hoffman in the Warren Beatty version. But uh, that was one of uh, many cartoon tie-ins that are on this site, uh, showing how popular they were back then. Dick Tracy, of course, is just an amazing, amazing achievement. Um, the website is 78records.cdb. Yes, com. Yeah. So there we go. It's a massive list of stuff. Wow. Um, Amazing. There's some Japanese and Greek stuff from the 30s and 40s. Lots of big band, jazz. I'm sure Robert Crumb is all over it. Odd, uncomfortable ethnic routines. Um, all of it. Yeah. Wonderment. Um, that's. I kind of get a feel with your stuff that there's a certain taste of the of the oldie olden times mm, yeah yeah i know i should get away from it but <laughs> i mean i don't think i'm willfully antique actually i don't try to style my stuff so that it looks you know too antique yeah well that's not the, the feeling i'm getting more kind of less seth more kim deitch it's it's informed by the past definitely yeah. and then yeah kim is a, a friend and uh his work just amazes me he lent me this book recently called uh winch have you heard of this no he was he's a ventriloquist very very popular in the uh from the 40s through the uh 60s i'm sure a lot of people listening know who he is <laughs> um he was, he was one of the biggest ventriloquists but this was his autobiography self-published and um it also details his m- mental difficulties which were considerable and very dramatic and also his interest in medicine which led him to develop in his dummy workshop the first artificial heart for real what yes it's an amazing amazing book unfortunately it's uh not in print and you can only find it on the internet for 300 dollars and up that's when you rely on fabulous folks like kim who have massive yeah. collections yeah. of odd unusual things yeah i kept it a little too long and he was uh certainly glad to get it back uh, <laughs> you know i uh he, he was in vancouver last summer and i took him uh bookstore shopping and i brought him mm. to this one and just i could see he, he, he was ready to spend all day there I'm like, oh, i should I know. not he have done it. this yeah. <laughs> and he had all these like crazy stacks of like kids weird books from like the turn of the century so oh yeah yeah Uh, Kim is just great yeah good stuff check out his work fanographics.com has lots including tales designed to thrizzle volume yeah stories of old show business uh, ranging from early animation and movies to carny tales and yeah he's really great now your work it's more like the uh i'd say more like the i don't know how to describe it it's something like the prescription I don't know, soda pop store oddities. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even, yeah, I cannot sure. speak I mean, I English think today. The sensibility of the comic is really informed by sketch humor, yeah. which is, you know, something that I grew up with, obviously, and it meant a lot to me. Um, and then, you know, yeah, the art is a odd kind of amalgamation of different things. Um, did you get a lot of, out of uh, Chris Ware's current, uh, not his most recent stuff, but his, uh, 
things where he does those novelty pages with the goods that you can buy because it seems like that's something that you're kind of edging on to. Yeah. The I catalog. Mean, I, I don't really read much of his work, to be honest. Um, I've looked at it. Um, we're, stylistically, in some ways, you know, we strained a certain common areas, and mm. I really respect what he does. It's quite amazing. But at the same time, narratively, it sort of leaves me cold. That's kind of the point, I think, too. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's a frustrating read. Um, what do you have for the future of Thrizzle? Well, I'm going to try to have another issue out by the end of the year, um, and, you know, to keep them coming out as regularly as I can. Uh, so Volume 2 might be here within two years. We'll see. Um, and they're going to be in color from now on. I, you know, doing the book, I felt that the color really makes them pop in a whole new way. So uh, I think the cover price is only going to go up very, very slightly, 50 cents. Slightly higher in Canada, as the saying goes. But uh, from now on, it will be in full color. What was the original choice of doing the two tones? Mm, something that they suggested, and I jumped on it. I don't know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always very self-critical of my own work, so I don't know if the two tones was really working. Um, I'm not sure I felt like I took full advantage of it, really. Yeah, um, I think it worked. I, I actually, I quite prefer the color, though. I find the color, it seems more like you have fun with it. Once you've seen the color, I felt, yeah, that's the way to go. Definitely. You know, it just, yeah, it, it increases the kind of kaleidoscope effect to me. Now, earlier you were talking about the, the Dick Tracy with the uh, mumbles, and Dick Tracy is something you touch up on a lot <laughs> in this book. Yeah, it, it is my favorite comic strip. With Popeye, maybe a close second. <laughs> um, you have such great strips that kind of remind of uh, of the Dick Tracys, the mentally ill gangsters, and the uh, what was it, the ridiculous uh, Dick Tracy characters? Yeah, that Dick world. Crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. including uh, dust in the face, dust in the wind face, Pacific <sighs> Island toilet face. Oh man. Um... <laughs> It, um, dust in the wind face, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, second place, face, place, face, man, I think. Yeah, that God, one. I, I can't even yeah, pronounce that one. Yeah, um, different yeah, variations. In, in Sank and Megan, there were some earlier ones, Ham Hole, and uh, yeah. Yeah, he, he had some amazing ones. There's one from the late 60s. Uh, Kim Deitch actually, again, lent me a stack of pages he had clipped from uh, 70 with a villain called The Pouch. The thing is that he was an intensely fat man and he lost a lot of weight and was left with pouches and folds of skin all over his body. And he's turned the one in his throat into a receptacle with a zip. Bizarre. Bizarre, disturbing stuff. It's amazing that Dick Tracy was on the newspaper pages, actually. Well, he was insane. So grotesque and so violent and, you know, extreme. There's a great uh, thing in an issue of Mineshaft where I think Crum and Lynch go to his studio in chicago and his crazy rants about hippies and stuff it's fantastic. yeah yeah i think he became rather right wing at the end is the impression i got i mean i came to dick tracy much later mm-hmm. so i wasn't really that aware of it when he was alive yeah uh, still um and you know dick tracy after he left kind of who cares really yeah. i have to say thanks warren Beatty. Yeah, but yeah, it got really bizarre. In the 60s, he uh, he had a kind of sci-fi angle, and he had it moon people and all this sci-fi uh, 
gadgetry, and then kind of went back uh, later and decided uh, that that was ridiculous and you know killed them off. Uh, Junior was married to Moon Maid and she was killed in a car bombing. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, that is severely ridiculous. But you go back to the the '40s and the level of violence mm-hmm. and torture and fear is just. Unbelievable. But it's kind of appropriate for Chicago, too, like, what it's come out of. Was Dick Tracy supposed to take place in Chicago? No, but that's where he lived. Oh, Chester Gould, yeah. Yeah, as far as I know, if I'm right, someone beat me if I'm wrong. I know not that much. I'm I'm pretty (laughs) sure One of these days, I'm sure I'll find out, and uh, I hope it's not too disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Chicago with the the massive amount of crime in the 30s and 20s, it's... uh, Oh, sure. Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah, and the atmosphere. I mean, that's the thing. I think Dick Tracy really kind of had uh, more thrills and more bizarreness to it than really movies did at that time. I think cart- cartoons at that time were leading the you know culture in some ways, I- at least in terms of luridness and display. Yeah. Now, if only they had the same impact. Now. You know, <laughs> yeah. We'd see far more tights. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it obviously wouldn't work the same way. But, uh, the whole world would be the family circus. Yeah, but I feel that, that has, uh, what does strike me about today's situation of comics is that, uh, you know, they're kind of taking a uh, following position. Yeah. You know, um, following movies and following, you know, serious art, those two poles. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, if you go look at the example like San Diego, I mean, that's... Yeah, there's no sense that comics, for their own sake, are really much. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, But I love comics for themselves, and I think everyone listening should, too. It's an amazing art form, and what I loved about it originally, and still do, uh, is that, you know, it's such a democratic, simple thing. If you've got a pen and paper, you know, make one. Mm -hmm. You know, reproduce it very cheaply. That's true. Anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. Anyone can see it, especially just, now. Yeah, you know. just look at web comics. Yeah, there's a million and one. Mm. There mm. sure are. It's a yeah. It's a world I don't know very much about. I've uh, neither do I. I'm too busy watching Big Brother UK to. Watch, uh, to <laughs> I read mean, the I've seen. I've, I've met or or discovered some of their work through Twitter. Actually, um, this guy Casey Green is amazing, and uh, John Keogh, beautiful style. Uh, yeah, there's some very talented people doing them, obviously. All these people I do not know. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, they're, they're, uh, they're on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Casey Green is Chode Malma, and uh, uh, John Kip is Tom Suffolk 69. <laughs> All right. Yeah. On that note, yeah. our hour is done. Really? Oh, it's yeah. goodbye. It's, uh, it is. If I had a, an, an exit song, it start playing up now oh didn't i have one song or did we use them all up no i was making a joke we we you do have one more song you just mean you know like kind of like that muppet show where they're at the stage singing oh yeah yeah making yeah. Odd, awkward banter what's yeah. the what's the last song um the last song you requested i don't have it written down in front of you uh, i don't remember what it was yeah. another old-timey song was it okay yeah i think you had three old-timeys huh oh. okay no no rap i guess no no uh no dr dre no okay yeah oh. We'll, we'll say that for another day, considering the name of your comic is Tales Designed to Thrizzle. Yes, yes. We didn't even talk about rap. No, 
No, I wasn't even thinking about that when I chose the title, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, uh... Call me out of touch. I won't. Anyhow, <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Michael, and uh, have a swell day. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. And uh, so that was Michael Kupperman. Uh, his book is Tales Designed to Thrizzle. Uh, up next at 3.30 is The French Connection. I'm just going to lead us off, or I'll finish us off with one of the song, last song's request. And then uh, for folks listening in Vancouver, I'm um, going to play a little bit of, uh, I've been doing this project online, the uh, Ink Studs Cartoonist mixtape, and so far I have mixtapes from uh, Trevor Alexopoulos, um, Wayno, and uh, Renee French. So I'm going to play a little bit of Wayno's um, up next. So, CITR 1.9 FM Inkstuds. No man ever was nor ever will be like the man called Hank McCain. They can lock him up, but they can never, never stop him living up. Life had taught him long ago The simple fact he was on his own Life had taught him not to count on anyone Except himself When you know 